Amen. Thank you, Nicole and team, for your uh, wonderful worship and leadership today as you begin to focus on God and His reverence and, his, and revere Him and how wonderful He is. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for that wonderful um, time of worship. Uh, sometimes I stand in the back on Wednesday nights or when I'm working with the kids or whatever, and I just look around and I'm just in awe of how wonderful God is and how you all engage in worship. And so it's an encouragement to me, so thank you for that. Uh, and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to new mothers. My daughter is here in the audience, first-time mother. And to those of you who've been mothers for a long time, you are a blessing to us, and um, that's a God-ordained role. And uh, I just hope you'll take pleasure in that, enjoy in that, and you're celebrated today. And maybe today looks like you go out to dinner with your family, or maybe you just get left alone for a few hours and you just get some time to yourself. <laughs> so whatever it is, hope you have a great day. And for those of you who are joining us online, uh, thank you for joining us, and happy Mother's Day to you as well. So yeah, as Tony said, Pastor Jeff is not here today. He's taking a much-needed vacation. And uh, he'll be back on Wednesday night here for Refuel Bible Study, 7 o'clock. We'd love to have you here. And then next Sunday, he'll be back uh, continuing his uh, series in the life of Jesus out of the book of Luke. Okay? So a few months ago, Pastor Jeff said that he was going to be out of town, and he asked me to speak today. And I'm humbled to be here. <sighs> Sorry. Um, at the time, I was um, going through Psalm 19 in my own study, and uh, it became clear with some prayer and reflection that Psalm 19 is what I should talk about today. So I'm excited to share with you uh, some insights that I've found in Psalm 19. Uh, I love Psalm 19. Uh, it is just, it is so good, and there's so many application points out of there. And so I want to encourage you now, and I'll encourage you later as well, uh, in your small group, in your personal study, in your discipleship group, whatever times you have with the Lord, spend a little bit of time in Psalm 19, revisit it, and see what the Lord has to say for you out of it. Because there's a lot of application in there. And, you know, today I'll give you some application points, but the Holy Spirit, as for believers, is going to maybe be prompting you and I, um, to consider some different things uh, within Psalm 19. And so... Um, we're going to look today at Psalm 19, and we're going to see that it's a model for how we can live as the Christian life, how we can be followers of God. And um, that's the overall application, but there's some other points within it. And this, uh, this passage is written by David. David was the greatest king of Israel. Uh, he was quite a guy. I mean, he was uh, not just a shepherd, but he was the leader of the country. He was a warrior. He was a poet. Uh, he was, uh, he just had a lot of talents and abilities. The Lord really, really blessed him. And the Bible calls David in two places a man after God's own heart. And we're going to talk about a little bit later about how you and I can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And this passage is going to uh, illuminate some of those things as we go through, okay? So we don't know why David wrote this. We don't know, you know, where he was and what part of his life he was in when he wrote this. But as I said, it does uh, illuminate some uh, a model for us to live as followers of God. And as I read it and have read it a lot over the past few months, um, it seems to get more intense 
and more personal as it goes along. And it ends with a flourish with just this like amazing prayer. And it's a prayer that I pray every morning. I don't say that to make myself look good. I just say it because I, I think it's a great prayer. And it's, a, it's something that um, if we engage in that sincerely, it will transform our words, our thoughts, our worship life, and our reliance upon God. And so I want to share some of that today. So let's start by reading in Psalm 19. Let's read Psalm 19, okay? Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays his handiwork. Day after day it speaks out. Night after night it reveals his greatness. There is no actual actual speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard. Yet its voice echoes throughout the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. In the sky, he has pitched a tent for the sun. Like a bridegroom, it emerges from its chamber. Like a strong man, it enjoys running its course. It emerges from the distant horizon and goes from one end of the sky to the other. Nothing can escape its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. They have greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. Who can know all his errors? Please do not punish me for sins I am unaware of. Moreover, keep me from committing flagrant sins. Do not, let, do not allow such sins to control me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of blatant rebellion. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. Powerful stuff from David, from the Lord speaking through David. So let's zero in on verses 1 to 6. Verses 1 to 6 have the theme of reverence. And so David extols in verses 1 to 6 reverence for God. And right there, maybe you or I need to consider and reflect on how reverent we are for God. Because it's easy to take him for granted. Okay? And we can slip into that trap. But as David says here in multiple ways, God's witness is all around us, as we sung about today as well. So, you know, I drive down the 202 every morning, and God paints this amazing sunrise for me. And it turns my mind to God. And I'm thankful for that. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's witness is all around us. In the heavens, in the birds, in the, in the flowers that we see out there. God's witness is there. Those are a witness to God's glory. Okay? And they themselves are worshiping an, an, an example, of, example or manifestation of God's greatness. They are praising God. And that's just amazing to me. Just amazing. And so David has this sense of reverence that is, that is in this passage here. 
he says that these heavenly bodies, they bring glory to God. They are a witness to God. And you'll notice in verse 3, it says, there's no actual speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard. So they're just there. They're just there. But then he goes in the next verse and says that their voice is universal. We see it throughout the world. And so God's witness, God's love for you and I is universal. It's for all people. Everyone can see it and enjoy it. Okay. So David is really, really reverent right here uh, to God. And he sees God in nature. And it brings him to a sense of awe and a sense of wonder, a sense of reverence. And that's something that I pray about in my life. I want to honor the Lord. I want to have a sense of awe and wonder and recognize God in nature and in the beautiful things that I see out there because I know that God created those things. Okay? David here is being countercultural. Okay? In that time period in history, and even today, unfortunately, okay, people worship the creation. They don't worship the creator. Paul talks about this in Romans 1 where he says that people gave themselves over, and they worship the creation, not the creator. Okay? And that hurts the heart of God, and I don't want to do that. I don't think you do either. Okay? And so David is, as I said, being countercultural, because all the cultures at that time, they have nature deities. They worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the rain god. All of these things that, are, that they would personify as gods, and they weren't gods. They were reflection creations of the one true God. And so David is extolling that in a great and reverential way. Okay. In verse 5, he talks about how the sun okay, emerges from its chamber like a bridegroom. And it's like a strong man, like an athlete. Okay. And this is another picture of reverence and, and just the straight up joy that nature itself has in being created by God. And that it can create pleasure and joy for us okay, in worshiping the creator. Not the creation, the creator. Okay? And so in the Hebrew, uh, this idea of a bridegroom emerges from his chamber, okay, uh, uh, expressing joy, is the thought of a groom who is waking up and going, today's my wedding day. Yes, I'm going to get married. Awesome. Okay, let's party. Let's be with his wife. He's excited. It's a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. Like a strong man, it enjoys running its course. The sun is doing what it was designed to do, and there's joy and pleasure in that when we are doing things that God's designed us to do. Okay? Think of an athlete who has you know, focused his entire life, his, all of his energies, his or her energies, toward a race, a competition. And it's race day. It's game day. It's on. Let's go. Okay? And so the idea of the sun doing what it does is, in the way it's been designed and designated by God, is an element of joy okay, and pleasure. And David is seeing that day after day. And he says, God's designed this world and all of these things. And it's happening with regularity. And that brings David to a sense of reverence for the Lord. Reverence for the Lord. And so today, in verses 1 to 6, you and I can echo David and say, yeah, I'm going to be more intentional about revering the Lord. Okay? Because he's worthy of it all. He deserves it. 
Now, in verses 7 to 10, David continues to talk about reverence, but he adds in reliance, okay? And so I want to point out the reverential ways that David talks about God first, and then we'll talk about reliance. He says in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect. That's a reverential statement right there. Your law is perfect. He said the rules set down by the Lord are reliable. Reliability, stability, okay, reverential. The Lord's precepts, the Lord's ideas, the Lord's values are fair, okay? They're not biased. They're unbiased. They're objective. They're fair. They're perfect in that sense. The Lord's commands are pure. They're clean. They're unadulterated. They're refined. They're, they're perfect. They're pure. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and just. They're trustworthy. The judgments of the Lord are trustworthy. There's no shadow of turning in those. There's no sort of, eh, I'm not so sure. You can trust. Bank on those things, okay? And then he talks in verse 10 about how they are worth high value and that they bring great satisfaction. And so David is talking about the law of the Lord, okay, the Bible, the word of God, but he's also talking about God himself, because the law, the word of God, it is the word of God. He's talking about God himself. God, the Lord, is perfect. He's reliable. He's fair. Okay? He's right. He's enduring. His judgments are trustworthy. He's absolutely just. He's the perfect judge. Okay? And he has great value and brings great satisfaction. So David has gone from talking about nature to talking about God's law, and he's really talking about God himself, okay? A great sense of reverence for God, for God, okay? And then as I said in verses 7 to 10, it's not just reverence, it's reliance. Because God is worthy of reverence, because God is so great and so awesome, and his witness is everywhere, and he loves all people, he's willing that none should perish, but that all should be saved, okay? His witness is universal, because God loves everybody, and he's set nature in its train, and everything is moving according to his word and according to his, his plan. God is worthy of reverence, and we can rely upon him. And so when he talks about reverence and reliance in verses 17, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, and it preserves your life. It will sustain you. Okay? And we all probably have stories as believers of how God has sustained us through difficult times, okay? dark times. Sickness, disease, death, whatever, okay? And so David is, man, I revere God, and I can rely upon him, okay? You know, I work with students in high school, and a lot of them have a sense of being untethered. Like, they don't have anything to rely upon, which makes sense because many of them are not Christians, okay? They have this sense of sort of drift and... And, and that things are in flux and the world is going to end and there's all this chaos in the news and things. And they have this sense of like, ah, I just need something to anchor myself to. Okay? And they're searching. Okay? But we as believers have the Lord okay, who is our anchor. Okay? We can rely upon him. That's a great comfort. Okay? 
says that the rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. And when I first read this, I thought, oh, yeah, inexperienced. Yeah, I know a lot of kids who are inexperienced. All the young people around me are inexperienced. My kids, my, my students, you know, all these younger people. And then I thought for a second, wait a minute, I'm one of those people too. Okay, just because I'm a little bit older, okay, and have a few gray hairs, just a few, okay, um, you know, it says that it can impart wisdom to the inexperienced. Well, I'm inexperienced in tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay? I mean, I have an idea of how things are supposed to go. But to be honest, tomorrow's a day I've never lived, so I have no wisdom for that. Okay? So I can rely upon the Lord, according to David here, which I would agree with, to give me wisdom for whatever I go through tomorrow. Okay? So at first I was like, yeah, that's good for the young people. Yeah, they should remember that. And we, they should, but you know what? I should too because I need wisdom. And you know, the Lord says okay, in James 1.5 that if you ask for wisdom, God will grant it generously and without reprimand. So wisdom is accessible. The wisdom of the God of the universe who created all these things that are mentioned in verses 1 to 6 is available for you and I. That's incredible. We could stop there, but we're not going to, okay? All right. Continuing the theme of reverence and reliance, the Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. Who doesn't need joyfulness in our lives? Contentment, a sense of things are going to be okay, security. Relying upon the Lord can make one joyful. Okay, And again, in verse 8, the Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. They help us navigate day by day all the things that we need. So David is speaking with great reverence. He's speaking about reliance. In verse 9, he talks about how those commands to fear the Lord, the deep respect and awe of the Lord, and a little bit of you know, kind of like maybe some fear and trepidation in the holy sense for the Lord. The Lord's commands endure, okay, and they're right, okay? And then he gets into verse 10 and he says that the judgments given by the Lord, these things are of greater value than gold, even a great amount of pure gold, okay? And then he talks about honey. So let's talk about gold for a second. Gold is obviously a precious metal, and there are grade, grades of it. The most pure gold is refined, refined over and over, refined by fire, to get rid of all the impurities, okay? And so David, who's a very rich guy, he's the king, all right? He says, you know what? All of those riches and all of those pure gold things, those are really cool, but you know what? A relationship with God, living in reverence and reliance upon God is worth more than all of that, Okay? That's something to keep in mind because a lot of times we can keep our, we can focus on these material things and we've got to remember that God is worthy of reverence and reliance and a relationship with him is of inestimable value. Okay. He talks about that the judgments given by the Lord bring, or bring greater delight than honey, even the sweetest honey from the honeycomb. Now, obviously David is a poet and he's extolling some poetical license here using that. Uh, but this is truth. He's saying that a relationship with God lived in reverence and reliance is the most satisfying thing. Okay? If you think about honey today, think about honey back then, honey sweetens our lives, it sweetens our food, uh, it has some uh, nutritional value a, a little bit, and the most pure honey is found in the honeycomb, in the center of the hive. Okay? And back in those days, honey was not just used to sweeten food, 
Honey was used as a medicine, as a salve for wounds, for cuts. Okay? And it came to me the other day that Jesus is our honey. Jesus is our honey. Jesus heals, covers, sweetens our life. Pretty amazing stuff. So, just recap real quick here. Verses 1 to 6, reverence. Verses 7 to 10, reverence plus reliance. And then David moves into 11 to 14, these verses. And these verses to me are intense. They build in intensity as they go along. And I'm continually astounded by David's transparency here. Uh, Let's talk about David for a second before we get to those verses. David is called, again, man after God's own heart twice in the Bible, and um, as the king, he's the top dog in Israel, okay? He's, he's the top dog, okay? But you'll see in verses 11 to 14, which are, are a response to 11, verses 1 to 10, that he is going to say some things about himself that are unique, that you don't often find in any leader at any level, in any position in any country or organization, Okay? And he knows that those words are going to be things that people are going to look at and they're going to measure him against. Okay? And he has courage and he has strength to go ahead and put these words out there that are a personal reflection and they're also a call to people as well to corporately say and believe and, and, and hold to these things. Okay? Uh, you know, David, as I said, was... Uh, a poet, and he was a warrior, and he was a leader, and he was a king, and his errors uh, are well documented in the Bible, okay? But as a man after God's own heart, he's a guy who's pursuing the Lord, prioritizing the Lord. And so today, as I mentioned, multiple applications here. Think about maybe your level of reverence and where you're at with that. Think about how much you're relying upon God. Maybe think about, are you pursuing God as a man or a woman after God's own heart? And when I say you, I mean me. Am I doing those things? Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how you actually do some of these things, how you pursue God, how you become a man or woman after God's own heart. But David gives us a real example here, and you can hear his voice. And as I've read this multiple times, as I've said, it feels like it gets more intense and more personal. And it feels like things are dawning upon David as he's reading it. Okay. And as I read it, things dawn upon me. Let that happen to you as we finish this chapter and go on to a couple other things. It says in verse 11, yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. So David is talking about the judgments given by the Lord. He says that they're trustworthy and they're just. And he says, yes, those judgments, the Lord's traits, the law of the Lord, the the witness that God has in the heavens, all of those things, they are specifically the judgments. Those are things that in which I, a servant, find moral guidance. Okay. Now, I think it's very curious and interesting that David chose to use the word servant. Okay. David could have said, yes, you're a shepherd. Yes, you're king. Yes, you're general. Uh, yes, I. Uh, yes, David. But he chooses the word servant, okay. which is very interesting because... David is, the, as I said, the king of Israel. He's the top dog. Okay? Everybody serves him, and everybody's accountable to him. 
Yet David is putting himself in a position of humility and saying, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Most High. I'm a servant of God. And I have accountability to God. Okay? That's a powerful statement for a leader, to lead as a servant, okay? as opposed to making it all about himself. Okay? So that's the first of four responses that David makes. And, you know, David is portraying himself as a servant, and I don't think that's rhetorical license. I think that's his mindset, because the Bible is true, okay? We can also think of the perfect servant, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth to seek and to save. He came to die on the cross for you and I. Not my will, but thine, he prayed. And, you know, he washed his disciples' feet before he was going to be crucified, okay? This is the epitome of being a servant, okay? So as I lead my family, as I lead in ministries and things at the church, as I lead in my job, I want to be a servant. I want to serve others. I want to have a servant's attitude and a servant's heart. And so that's another application point that you and I can think about. In the positions of leadership that we have, and we're all leaders, all of us are leaders. We lead our kids, we lead our families, we lead our, in our workplaces. We lead just by living a life centered on Christ. Okay. And when people know that and see the bumper sticker or the Oasis sticker on your truck, <laughs> you're putting yourself in a position of leadership and accountability. Okay. So I think about how am I leading? Am I serving? Okay. And David mentions that when we obey the judgments, the commands of the Lord found in his law, found in his word, there's a rich reward in that. Okay? There's a rich reward. I don't know what that reward is. I mean, it might be um, blessed today, maybe. It might be blessing in heaven. But I'm not going to focus on that. I'm just going to go ahead and honor the Lord as best I can. That's the goal. That's the dream. That's the purpose of a Christian life. Okay. So that's the first response. Let's go to verse 12. The second response is David says, who can know all his errors? Please do not punish me for sins I am unaware of. There's a shift in this passage. Goes reverence, goes reverence plus reliance. A little transition there. And then the shift is personal. Who can know all his errors? Please do not punish me for sins I am unaware of. It's as if David is realizing maybe once again, I'm a sinner. God is holy. He set all of these things in nature and this law here. He set it all out there. And he's kind of a sense of not just reverence of like, I'm a sinner positionally. I, I am unholy and God is so holy and God is so perfect and I am so imperfect. God is sinless and I'm sinful. And so there's this dawning on himself of, uh, of his position. Okay. And he doesn't stop there. He goes into the next verse where he says, Moreover, keep me from committing flagrant sins. Do not let such sins control me. Okay. That's a whole other level. The first is really like, hey, I'm a sinner. And you could just stop there and go, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm just going to roll with it and just leave it and just see what happens. David goes a little bit deeper, and he says, I'm not just a sinner. I'm an intentional sinner. I'm a flagrant sinner. I'm a guy who has known the right way and gone a different way, okay? That's intentional sin, okay? 
That's me. That's you. Okay? And so he's asking, he's pleading with God, God, please do not let me commit these sins. Okay? And he's not trying to curry favor. He's not trying to work his way into God's good graces. He's basically saying, look, I am filled with awe and reverence at how great you are. And I see that in nature and I see that in your law. And it makes me realize that I am so wanting. Okay? And so it's dawning upon him. It's getting deeper and more, more, more intense. And again, David realizes, and I think he knows, and, you know, or, or, or maybe he didn't, I don't know, but that his words are going to be things that people are going to know about and hear about because he's the king and everybody knows what the king's doing. Okay? And so David is saying, you know what? I don't care about that. I don't care what people think of me. It's my God that I need to worship and live in reverence and reliance of. Okay? And so he's bearing his soul here. God, I am an intentional sinner. Please forgive me. Please control my life. Please have my life. Don't let me commit those sins that I know I'm prone to do. Okay? What a model. What, what, it just mind-boggling. Okay? He says at the end of verse 13, then I'll be blameless and innocent of blatant rebellion. So he's echoing the idea of God is forgiving and God is merciful and God loves us and that we can find a relationship with God that is fulfilling. Okay? And he's acknowledging his sinfulness, his intentional sinfulness, and yet he's also saying, God, I give myself, I submit my will to you, and that will, I know, because you're a great God, lead to me being blameless, innocent of blatant rebellion. Okay? And so that's the idea of salvation, idea of salvation. Okay? And then it gets to verse 14. Verse 14 is incredible. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. There's so much in here. Okay? First of all, the concept of a sheltering rock, that's a protective wall. That protects you, keeps you safe. Okay? And you know, David is the king. He's the rock, the protector of Israel. Armies go at his commands. He's the protector. And yet he says, you know what? He says, God is my sheltering rock. God is my protector. I'm accountable to him. I put my life in his hands. Okay. That's somebody who is filled with reverence and reliance upon God in ways that I look at and I'm ashamed. I go, I don't know if I'm that kind of guy. He says God's his redeemer, his savior. In the Hebrew, this is a, connotes the protector of family rights, the advocate that goes and says, hey, you need to leave our family alone or we need, you know, you, we're losing something here and it advocates for the family, Okay. God is his sheltering rock and his redeemer. And Jesus, of course, is our advocate in heaven. Okay? It's only through Jesus that we are able to enter into the presence of God through his sacrifice. And so there's a lot here in the moment, but there's also things that link into 
the New Testament and salvation in Jesus. I want to circle a little bit back to the beginning of this verse where he says, may my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight. This is the part that really kind of stuns me. Okay. Our words are public. Our words are out there. And you and I have been subject to words that hurt us and words that uh, build us up. Okay. When my wife says something that's great to me, man, I'm like, whoo, I'm the man, this is great. Okay. Okay. And when there are words said by whoever, you can feel those. Okay. And so David is submitting his will and submitting his words to God and saying, I want my words to honor God. Okay? And that's fair. We can all get on board on that. We can understand that. That's awesome. That's coming from a heart of reverence and reliance upon God. Okay? But the interesting thing is he says, may my words and my thoughts, my thoughts. Okay? Think about your thoughts for a moment. Okay? I don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. Okay? Our thoughts are private. Only between God and you, okay? And isn't it sometimes very easy to be like, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you today. When you're inside, you're like, oh, man, I don't want to see them today, okay? So we can have this difference between our internal and our external. And David is saying, I want my words that are public and out there to honor God because I love him, because I revere him and I rely upon him. And I want my internal thoughts known only to God and me to honor God as well. That's incredible. That's just incredible. External, honor the Lord. Internal, honor the Lord. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight. And like I said, that's what I pray every morning. Okay? I don't know if I do a great job on that. But I want to. And I pray that. Okay? Pretty important, pretty deep stuff here. Pretty amazing how David um, is able to draw us deeper and deeper and illustrate his relationship with God. Reverence, reliance, and then these levels of response going from I'm a sinner to man, I'm a flagrant sinner. I really need to cast myself at the Lord's feet. And then he gets into the most like personal intimate things of words and thoughts, things that define you and I as human being, human beings, okay? So I want to talk a little bit, just to finish here, about words and thoughts, okay? How do we submit our words and our thoughts to God? What does that look like, okay? Because if we just stop there, that's good. There's plenty of application, plenty of things we can reflect on. But the Bible, because it's perfect, okay, gives us some things we can hang our hat on and go, yeah, I can not do that, and this is how I can clean up my act, and this is how my words and my thoughts can be honoring of the Lord. And again, we want to have words and thoughts that honor the Lord, not because we're trying to work our way into heaven or whatever. It's because we have reverence for God, and he's worthy of it all, and we rely upon him. Okay, that's a really important thing to remember, that we don't want to get caught up in just doing things to look good or sound good. We want to be someone who lives out our faith and honors God because we love him, because he deserves it. He's the God of the universe after all, okay? So there's a few passages in the New Testament that I'd like to turn our attention to, and you can turn to them or not. It's up to you. I'm going to kind of roll through them kind of quickly. Uh, In Ephesians 5, 4, it says, Neither should there be vulgar speech, foolish talk, or coarse jesting. 
all of which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. Okay? So basically he's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, as God followers, we shouldn't be using profanity. Okay? That should not be something that's on our lips or in our thoughts. That should not be part of our life. Okay? Foolish talk, coarse jesting, you know, inappropriate jokes, gossiping. These are not appropriate for, human, for, for Christians, for Christians, okay? Because we're different. Remember, David is countercultural. He's saying, hey, look, I'm going to revere God. I'm going to revere the creator, not the creation. So he's countercultural in that. We need to be countercultural in our language, okay? If you pop over to Matthew, 22, or Matthew 12, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you know what? Our words will condemn or justify us. Hmm, interesting. We're accountable for the words that we say. I tell you why that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Oh, okay. Now it gets real. Okay? My words can be considered worthwhile or worthless. Okay? All right. That's something to think about. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I think of the fire alarm, fire alarm at my work, and it goes off, and it's so loud, and it's so annoying, okay? So you may not be given to profanity or gossip, okay? But maybe it's how you say whatever you say, okay? Are you having a gentle tone? Are your words and your tone and things honoring to God, okay? And again, folks, I'm not saying this to you specifically. I'm saying this to me as well. These are things that I'm considering and, and, and asking the Lord to clarify in my life. Okay? You're probably familiar with James 3, 9, and 10, where James does a really interesting job of talking about the tongue and how the tongue can set things on fire and cause major problems. Look at what he says in verses uh, 9 and 10 of James 3. With it, speaking of the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. James doesn't pull any punches. He says we can use our body, our members, our, our tongue for good, or we can use it for ill. Okay? And when we use it for good, we're submitting ourselves to God, as David did. May my words and my thoughts, okay, be acceptable. And we can be reminded of those things, okay? So to close here, in just a moment, the question might arise, how do we do this? How do I submit my words and thoughts? How do I live in reverence? How do I live in reliance upon God, okay? I would say a couple of things. And also, how do I become a man or woman of God's own heart, okay? I'd say there's a couple of things. We can see, look at David's life in David in Psalm 19. David clearly knew God. He clearly spent time with God. He prioritized God. He read his word. Okay? And he didn't just read it. He didn't just go, that's neat. Went to church, checked. Okay? He was a doer of the word. Okay? He let it penetrate him. He let it absorb him. He... He, he reflected on it. Okay. And he, he lived in reverence of God and esteemed him of high value, worth more than all other things. Okay. 
And, and David is an example of how we can live. Okay? So that's a little piece of the puzzle of how we can become a man or woman after God's own heart. Okay? And how we can submit our speech and our thoughts to God and how we can just straight up live in reverence and reliance on God is found, I think, in Philippians 4.8. And you probably know this. Finally, brothers and sisters, that's us, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Okay. So this makes me think, what am I putting in? What am I pondering? What am I considering? Who am I with? What am I doing? Is it leading me to greater reverence and reliance upon my God? And is it helping me submit my will, my words and my thoughts to God? Because he's my sheltering rock and he's my redeemer. I'm going to ask Nicole and the team to come on up. And I'll have a few final words and then we'll pray. So today... I've asked you to consider Psalm 19. And to see in it, David's reverence for God is found in nature. David's reliance on God because of what he sees in nature and the law of God. Because he knew God and he spent time with him and he prioritized God. Okay. And that led him to some self-examination of his position, of his lifestyle, and of the most personal elements of a life. That is, is his words and his thoughts. Okay? Those are the things that endure. Okay? I can remember what my dad said to me. He's now in heaven. I can remember what a teacher said to me years and years ago. Okay? And if we can live in reverence and reliance on God, it's going to transform our words and our thoughts and our interpersonal relationships and how we look to God. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me today, is that we'll live in reverence, reliance, and that our words and thoughts will be honoring to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being here today. Thank you for answering my prayers. Thank you for being the great God who has set all things in nature as a witness to your glory. Lord, may we recognize you when we see that beautiful sunrise that sunset, or that beautiful flower in our backyard. May we give you glory and honor. Lord, as we stick our nose in the Bible, spend time at church, small groups, and discipleship, whatever it is, Lord, may we live in reverence and reliance upon you as we see you in your word. And Lord, finally, may our lives conform to the image of the Son in our words, our actions, and our thoughts. Because, Lord, you're our sheltering rock and you're our redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for being that. We bless your name today. Amen.